in Matthew chapter number 5, and uh, this is the last week we'll be in Matthew 5, we'll move on from Matthew 5, and we're continuing to travel uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, we talked about the fact that the Sermon on the Mount started in chapter 5, it goes through chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 of the book of Matthew, and Jesus is preaching a sermon, and we're studying a sermon that he preached. So as we read these things, you are reading a sermon that Jesus preached. It would be like if, if you took my sermon on Sunday morning, and someone sat down and listened to the audio and wrote everything I said down and then gave it to you, that's what you're reading in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So this is the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're going through it, uh, if you remember when we started, we spent the first week in the first uh, 12 verses there, and we uh, primarily on the what's known as the Beatitude, blessed are the poor, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. Then we spent some time talking about, ye are the salt of the earth, and ye are the light of the world. Now we're going to finish up the chapter here, and Jesus is teaching in regards to the law. Jesus is teaching on the law for the rest of Matthew chapter number 5. And I want you to understand, okay, the, the liberal Christians today, and you say, who, who are the liberal Christians today? Those that don't want to preach on sin, those that don't want to preach the Bible a lot, those that, you know, you go to church and it's like an hour of music and then you get like a ten minute sermonette, you know what I mean? You get, you know, they, they use one or two verses and they just kind of, you know, give you something uh, to think about and they want to share and they're not really preaching. The liberals today, they, they teach this uh, philosophy that you and I as New Testament believers have no need for the law. They'll say the law was for the Old Testament believers. The law was, 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 was and, and, and they'll also make it sound, they'll say like, the God of the Old Testament was this angry God. He was this mean God. He just made people, you know, follow the law. And they'll say, today we're not under the law. We're under grace. And, 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 and by the way, mankind has always been under grace. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, Noah's pretty, pretty Old Testament. I mean, you don't get very far into the book of Genesis. It, you know, and by the way, the fact that any of us wake up just alive, the fact that God doesn't strike us dead, you know, just for every sinful thing we do, just proves that we're all under the grace of God. But you know what? Just because we're under the grace of God doesn't mean that we can just throw the law away. And I want you, I, I want to teach you about the importance of the law. And really, what I want to teach you tonight is just what Jesus taught about the law. Because remember, we're just reading the sermon of Jesus, right? So, what did Jesus teach about the law? I want you to see a couple of things. Are you there in Matthew chapter 5? Look at verse number 17. Now, notice what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 17. What did Jesus teach about the law? Matthew 5, 17 says, Think not, keep in mind, this is Jesus preaching. The, the, if you got a red letter edition Bible, the words are in red. These are the words that Jesus verbally spoke while on earth, in, in the flesh. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law. Now, so did Jesus come to destroy the law? No. He said, don't think that. He said, I don't want you thinking that I came to get rid of the law. He said, or the prophets. Now, now notice what he says. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. Now, here's the thing. The liberals, here's what they'll say. They'll say, see, Jesus fulfilled the law, so he fulfilled it, so we don't have to worry about it. Okay, now here's the problem with that, okay? The word fulfill can mean a multiplicity of different things, alright? So what we need to understand is, what does the word fulfill mean in our Bible? 
I mean, especially, specifically in our King James Bible, the King James translators, what did they mean when they translated that word fulfill? Now, something that I do to try to study scripture, sometimes um, I'll look up the word just every time it appears in scripture to kind of get the context of it. But you know, something else you can do, and I wouldn't advise you, you know, you doing this unless you know what you're doing. But another thing you can do is you can look up the word. The, the actual Greek word that it was translated in. I'm not going to tell you to go back and look at the Greek translation because you don't speak Greek and I don't speak Greek. Alright? And don't, don't try to act like you speak another language when you don't. You know? And all these preachers that get up and try to tell you, well, in the Greek it says they don't speak Greek either. You know, we were, uh, a couple weeks, uh, last week we were over there talking to one of the pastors in this, in this place, and we were talking to him about the Bible, and he says, well, I like to pre, I like, he says, I actually like to read it in the Greek. Because he was trying to like badmouth the King James Bible. He's like, I like to read it in the Greek. And I was just like, mm-hmm. And then he kept talking, and I said, so do you speak Greek? And he's like, no, no. I'm like, because you speak English. You know, you, you should try to read the Bible in the language you speak, okay? But anyway, but I'm not preaching on the King James Bible. But, but I want to say this. Here's what you can do. Is look up the Greek word and then see how it was translated throughout Scripture. Because here's what you're going to say. Sometimes in the Bible, the same word is not translated the same in every passage. Do you understand that? Now, that's not a mistake in the King James Bible. That's just translation. You can translate, if I was to say something to you in Spanish, you could translate the same words in different ways in English and they would all be accurate. Now when I look up the word fulfill, how it was translated, that same word, how it was translated throughout the Bible, here's, here's other ways the same word was translated. I'm not correcting the King James Bible, I hope you understand that. I'm just explaining to you, the King James translators saw this word and they translated it fulfill. Okay? I want to give you some examples of other ways how they translated that, that word. They use it in scripture like this, to make full, to fill up, to accomplish. To supply, to bring to perfection, to bring to completion, or to complete. Okay, here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. The liberal says, see, Jesus came to fulfill the law, so when he fulfilled the law, then we don't have to fulfill it. But that's not what's meant by the word fulfill. What the word fulfill means is to complete. Here's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, look, you've got the Old Testament law, but he's like, you only got half of what you need. He said, I came to give you the rest. I came to complete it for you. I came to supply you with more. I came to accomplish it. I came to fill up. He's like, you're only full about halfway. Let me fill you up. I'm going to fulfill what you need to know about the law. And you will see as we go through this passage, Jesus does nothing to destroy to the law, but here's what he does do. He adds to it. I mean, as you go through it, he's just making it more strict. He's making So, don't let a liberal tell you, Jesus fulfilled the law, so he fulfilled it, so you and I don't have to. Don't worry about the law. Go ahead and get drunk. Go ahead and get high. Go ahead and live in fornication. God doesn't care. Jesus fulfilled the law. What it's meant by Jesus fulfilling the law is that he came to complete it. He came to perfect it. He said, you've only got some of what you need. He said, let me give you the rest. That, that's what Jesus did. Let me prove it to you. What, before we get into that, look at verse 18. Jesus said, the liberals say, the law, we're not under the law. And the Bible does say we're not under the law, but I'll explain to you the context of that in a minute. The liberals say, we're not under the law. We don't need the law. Okay, well Matthew five eighteen says this. Jesus said, for verily I say unto you. Now notice what he says, till. The word till means until. Okay. Till heaven and earth pass. 
one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Okay, so Jesus said, the law will not pass until heaven and earth pass. He said, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass. So here's a question I have for you. Has heaven and earth passed? I mean, has, has Jesus came back and destroyed the heavens and destroyed the earth? Are we in New Jerusalem right now? Are we in the new heaven and in the new earth right now? No, we're not. Heaven and earth haven't passed, so guess what? The law hasn't passed either. Because the Bible says, so heaven and earth pass, one shot or one tittle, so no wise pass from the law. You say, well, one day we won't have to worry about the law. When Jesus Christ comes back after the millennial reign, when He destroys the earth, and He creates a new earth, and He destroys the heaven, and He creates a new heaven, and you and I get our home in the new Jerusalem, then praise God, at that point you can say, I won't need the law. But guess what? You'll be in your glorified body. You won't be a sinner. You won't need the law. But till then, the law still applies. This is what Jesus said. He said, till heaven and earth pass. Go to, go to Matthew 5, look at verse 19. Not only that, but Jesus explains that there is a danger in minimizing the law. He says, look, you preachers that want to tell your people, don't worry about the law, you're under grace, you know, just live however you want. You know, you know and, and by the way, salvation is by grace, praise God. We, we're not saved by the law, and we'll talk about that in a minute as well. But look, for a preacher to stand up and minimize the law and say, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, it doesn't matter what the Ten Commandments say, you can do whatever you want, God doesn't care, we're in the age of grace. There is a danger in... Look at, look at what Jesus said, Matthew 5.19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, he said, even the smallest commandment, and, look what it says, shall teach man so... So the guy that gets up, and not only does he break the commandments, not only does he drink his alcohol, even though the Bible says you shouldn't do it, and then teaches others to say, and says, well, you can drink socially, it's no big deal. Which is what the average pastor does today. When the Bible says, look not thou upon the wine. Look what it says. Whosoever shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so. Look what it says. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do... And teach. The guy who does the commandments and teaches people to keep the commandments, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Look, if you consciously break God's laws and you teach people to break God's law, and you go around and tell people, Oh, no, Pastor Jimenez, he gets a little carried away. Don't you worry. God doesn't really care. You look, you're going you're gonna to be Mr. and Mrs. Least in, the, in, in heaven. And those of you that do, that's how you live your life. And teach, that's you preaching, that's you going soul winning, that's you teaching your children, that's you teaching young believers. Hey, you're going to be called Mr. or Mrs. Great in the kingdom of heaven. Look, I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't want God to, to be like, you're Mr. Least. You know what least means? It means the, 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 the smallest amount. And here's what Jesus is saying. Look, he said, look, he said, look, I understand. you got to understand this, okay? Jesus is not a communist. What do you mean by that? You and I get this idea. You know, you, you get this idea. The Apostle Paul literally just gave his life. I mean, worked night and day. Got imprisoned. Got thrown in jail. Got beat with rods. Got stoned. Started churches. Preached the gospel. And, and, and you know, you think, you know, our, our 
today our society has this idea. Christianity today has this idea. We're going to get to heaven, and you and I, you know, barely make it to church on Sunday morning, read the chapter, uh, you know, read a proverb of the day every once in a while, don't even do that consistently, pray before our meal, you know, you know, it's like you're at the restaurant and you're so embarrassed to pray for your meal that you act like you dropped your, your fork and you're like, Dear Jesus, thanks for this good, amen. You know. Did anybody see me? And you and I think, you, and I, you, you think we're going to get to heaven and be the same as Paul? Look, there, the Bible says that there are going to be people in heaven that God is going to say, look at Paul. This is the great in the kingdom. And he's going to look at us who were lazy, who did not knock doors, who did not read the Bible, who did not go soul winning, who couldn't even figure out how to show up to church, and he's going to say, you're the least. God is not a communist. This is not, you know, no child left behind in heaven. I know that today our, you know, today our society teaches, it doesn't matter, everybody wins in baseball, everybody gets, you know, gets taken to the next grade, everybody's good, nobody's a failure, in heaven there will be failures. And, and you know what? I'd rather be in heaven and be a failure, but I'd rather get to heaven and, and have God say, well done, I've been a faithful servant. I don't want to get to heaven and have Jesus say like, well, I'm glad you're here, but you were the least. You know why you were the least? Because you did the least. Look what it says, Matthew 5.19. Whosoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, he's saying, I'm going to call you the least, because you weren't really that involved. But whosoever shall do and teach, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You've got to ask yourself this question. And look, I, look, my job as a pastor is just to preach God's word. Honestly, I love you, I pray for you, and, and to be honest with you, don't take this the wrong way, but I don't really care what you do. I mean, I, I do care what you do, and, and, and sin, your sin hurts me and burdens me. But at the end of the day, look, I can only, I can only do what, I, what I'm going to do. I'm only responsible for my own life. Do you understand that? I want you to do right. I want you to do good. Look, I, I'll teach you on, about character. I'll teach you how to accomplish much in your life. But what you do with your life, look, you'll stand before God for what you did in your body. I'll stand before God for what I did. I'm, I'm not going to stand before God and say, well, I didn't teach him. I'm going to make sure I can say, hey, hey God, I taught him. If they went to Verity Baptist and they never won a soul to Christ, it wasn't my fault. I mean, I gave them every opportunity they could. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Do you want to get to heaven and just be Mr. Least? Because I don't. But you got to understand this. Jesus says, look, don't teach people to not keep the law. He said, he said, there's a great danger in that. Now look at verse 20. Jesus said, although I came to complete the law, to fulfill the law. He says, look, the law cannot save you. Are you there in Matthew 5.20? For I say unto you, that except your righteousness, those are the good things you do, shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, what is he saying here? You've got to understand this, okay? He's giving them an example they can understand. The people of this time that Jesus was preaching to, they would look at the Pharisees, and they would look at the scribes, and they would look at them as the greatest, like, religious, like, they, if you ask them, you know, who's the most righteous person in, in this society? They'd be like, the Pharisees. I mean, they are the greatest. And what Jesus is explaining to them, he's saying, look, look at verse 20 again, Matthew 5, 20. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he's saying to them. He said, look, you think that the Pharisees are the most righteous people in our society? But he said, if you want to get to heaven based on, on keeping the law, you've got to be better than that. You understand that? He's taking the highest example they've got and saying, even that's not good enough. Because nobody gets to heaven by keeping the law. 
There shall no flesh, by the works of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So you cannot keep the law to go to heaven. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. But let me tell you something. Once you're saved, God still expects you to keep the law. You say, prove it. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 21. Now, Jesus explained to us about the law, right? He said, look, I came to complete it. I came to fulfill it. Now watch, watch how he's going to complete it right now. Look at verse 21. He said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So he said, look, you were told, you heard that it's wrong to kill. But notice, is, is, in verse 22, you've got to ask yourself this question. Is he destroying the law? Is he diminishing it? Or is he adding to it? Look at verse 22. But I say unto you, now notice, verse 21, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, verse 22, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So here's the thing. Jesus says in verse 21, you heard that, you know, thou shalt not kill. He said, but I'm saying to you, I don't even want you to be angry with your brother. Without a cause. I mean, is that, is that diminishing it? Is that destroying it? Or is that just taking it to the next level? You understand that? Well, Jesus came to fulfill it. Yeah, the word fulfill means he came to complete it. He said, you only got half of what you need. He said, the Old Testament said, don't kill. I'm here to tell you, don't even be angry. He said, don't even get mad. He said, don't even, don't even go there. He said, it's not enough to just not kill. He said, don't be angry without a cause. Look, Jesus is taking it to the next level. He's not slowing this thing down. He's not saying, look, he's saying, thou shalt not kill. That was the law in the Old Testament. But today, we're under grace. Just do whatever you want. No. He's saying, look, you have heard that it, was, that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger. Look at verse 23. He's talking about being angry with your brother, right? Therefore, if thou bring the gift to the altar, and rememberest that thy brother have out against thee, leave, thy, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, I don't want to preach... Look, I, you guys are going to think... I'm going to say this because it's in the text, okay? Because I've committed myself to preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I don't really care, you know, take this however you want. But here's what's interesting about this passage, okay? The gift there is talking about an offering. And he says, look, if you come and bring your gift to the offering, and then you, you bring your gift, you bring your offering to, to the altar. You know, so you bring your offering to church. And then you remember like, oh right, I have an issue with my brother. He says, you know, leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So he says like, look, go, go make it right with your brother. Here's what I think is interesting. Verse 24. He says, leave there thy gift. You see that? Before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. Here's, he doesn't say take your gift with you, go get reconciled. He says, look, leave your gift and then go make it right. You know why he says that? Because there's a likelihood you're not coming back. <laughs> and he says, leave the gift. You know, I think it's funny because like, you know, when my, when my wife and I, before I was a pastor, my wife and I, you know, we, we made a commitment 
I mean, years and years ago, before I was ever a pastor, we made a commitment. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we're going to be in church. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're, if we're on vacation. On our honeymoon, we found somewhere to go to church on Wednesday night. I mean, we just committed. I, if I can't be at my local church, I'll be at our church. But you know what I think is interesting? Like, like my wife and I, like, you know, I, there was a time when we were tithing every, every week, right? Because I got paid once a week, so we tithe every week. Well, guess what? If we went on vacation and I didn't come to church, like, the next Sunday, I'd bring both my tithes. What I think is interesting is people today, they're like, I tithe if I'm at church. But if I don't go to church, then I won't tithe. Like, that's not a scriptural principle. The Bible says, leave thy gift at the altar and go thy way. He says, if, you're, if you can't make it because of sin in your life, or you can't make it, he says, leave the gift. I, you know, it's, it's just there. I'm just pointing it out. That's what I'm, we're doing in Bible study, I think. Look at verse, uh, verse 25. Agree with an adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Here's what he's saying. Settle it quickly. He's using this illustration. He says, settle out of court. And that's just good advice, you know. He's like, if you don't have to go to court, don't go to court. He said, if you can settle it before you get to the, to, to the court, because if you go to the court, it may go bad on you. So that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, here's what he's trying to say. Don't be angry with your brother. Try to settle it as quickly as you can. If you, and by the way, if you have a problem with a brother or a sister in Christ here in the church, you've got to try to settle that thing as quickly as possible. Just don't let it build up to say, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, look at verse 27. I want you to see that Jesus is not diminishing the law. He's not destroying the law. If anything, he's adding to the law. Look at verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So he says, look, you were told to not commit adultery. Verse 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Okay, does that sound like it's taking it to a higher level? Or does it sound like he's diminishing it, destroying it, don't worry about it, we're not under the law, it doesn't apply to us. Look, he's making it stricter. He's saying, look, you were told to not commit adultery, I'm telling you, don't even look at a woman to lust after her, and if you do it, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And by the way, man, that's what the Bible says. You are not, you say, well, I have a problem controlling my eyes. Then you need the character sermon so you can learn how to discipline your eyes and control your eyes and deny yourself. Because the Bible says if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And by the way, ladies, let me just point this out. Look at verse 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath been, you know, uh, raked in, in, his, in her heart. Is that what it says? You say, you know, ladies have this idea. Well, I'm going to dress however I want. And if they look at me, it's their problem. No, it says commit adultery with her. That means you took part. It's your job to, to make sure you're dressed modest too, ladies. And if you dress modest and some guy looks at you in the wrong way, then that's his problem. But when you're dressed in a way that brings attention to yourself, the Bible, you say, I'm not minimizing the men. They commit adultery, but the Bible puts it on your, uh, on your side too. He says, you've committed adultery with her. You see that? It doesn't say he, he, you know, took advantage of her. It says she took part in it. So ladies, you got to dress modestly as well. And you got to make sure that you dress in a way that you're not causing a man to lust after you. And you men, you need to develop enough character to just not look at a woman when she's dressed immodestly and say, you know what, I'm going to control myself because the Bible says it's wrong. The Bible says the foolishness of sin, uh, uh, the, the thought of foolishness is sin. Here's the question. Does it sound like Jesus is just watering it down? There's no big deal. 
We're under grace. Does Jesus sound... I mean, we're reading a sermon by Jesus Christ. Does Jesus sound like a liberal? Just, you know, does He sound like these, these, you know, these pansy preachers today that just want to get up with their pink little tie and just say, I'm going to share with you about the grace of God. God loves you. That's what Jesus is like, look, you've heard to not commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even look at a woman. I mean, Jesus is just laying it out. He's not diminishing it. He's not destroying it. He's not fulfilling it so that you don't have to worry about it. He says, I'm filling it. He said, it's only halfway full. I'm going to give you the rest. You've heard not to kill. You've heard not to commit adultery. Let me take it to the next level. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 31. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. He said, you have been told that it's okay to get a divorce. Verse 32. But I say unto you, now notice what Jesus says, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. You know, I, I feel like, I know exactly what Jesus feels like. Because you know what he said? He didn't say the Bible said it was okay to commit adultery, to, to get divorced. He said, he said, it has been said. He said, you have been told that it's okay to, to, to get a divorce. He said, but I'm telling you, and notice what he says about divorce, verse 32. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. If you remember when we started the series in Matthew, we talked about that phrase, saving for cause of fornication. I'm not going to go into it. If you want to look at the first uh, sermon in Matthew, uh, or maybe it was the second sermon, we dealt with that. But I want you to see this. The Bible says, when you put away your wife, you cause, but he says, he causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. You know what the Bible calls getting divorced and remarried? Adultery. See, I don't like you saying that. That's what Jesus said. I, my job is to preach what Jesus says. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, I'm, I'm divorced, you know, I mean, like 60% of our society is divorced. Say, am I not welcome here? Of course, look, we love people that are divorced. You've been divorced. But I'm here to tell you, you know, if you've been divorced, don't ever do it again. You say, I got divorced and remarried. Then stay married to the one you're with for the rest of your life and don't ever do it again. But those of you that have never been divorced, don't do it. It's a sin. It's wrong. And the Bible says, if you get a divorce and you get remarried, it is adultery. And that's not, you say, I've never heard that before. Jesus said the same thing. He said, you've never heard this before, but let me tell you, getting remarried after, uh, after divorce, it's adultery. It's wrong. He said, whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed adultery. Again, I just want to ask this question. Does it sound like Jesus is watering it down? Look at verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. So here's what he said. He said, you, you were told that if you're going to swear, like make sure you do it. Verse 34, But I say unto you, Swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King, neither shalt thou swear by thine head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than this cometh of evil. He's saying, look, don't, don't go around swearing about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. He said, you, we ought to have this attitude. Yay, yay, nay, nay, and don't swear at all because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. Look at verse 38. Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's talking about judgment. 
Now notice what he says. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn, it, turn to him the other also. Now, now just, so I know it's easy to read these and just kind of go through it, but think about what he's saying. I mean, don't, don't raise your hand, because I don't want to know. But like, if you've ever been like slapped in the face, you know, I mean, that's a pretty like humiliating thing, don't you think? I mean, I can't think, I'd rather have somebody like, you know, punch me in the gut than like smack me in the face. You know what I mean? Like slapping me in the face. Think about, think about just somebody just smacking you in the face as hard as possible. I mean, that would, that would get anybody pretty angry, right? But look what he says. Now, now here's the thing. Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. He said, look, you were told in the Old Testament, if someone takes your eye out, you take their eye out. Someone takes your tooth out, you take their tooth out. He said, but I'm here to tell you that you resist... And by the way, they weren't supposed to do it, they were supposed to go through the judges and all that. Just for context. Verse 39. 39. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever... Now look what he says. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's probably the hardest thing you'll ever do. That's, and that, that is when the rubber meets the road, and by the way, that is Christianity. Verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat. Uh, to take, and take away thy coat. Look what he says. Let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. He's saying, look. He's, like, he's saying, I'm, I'm trying to teach you about mercy. He said, like, like, you've heard about judgment. Let me tell you about mercy. He says, look, the, the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But here's what you understand. Just because the law says it doesn't mean you have to do it. Do you understand that? Just because the, the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says, you can turn the other cheek. You can let God avenge you. You can show mercy. Just because someone compels you to go a mile with them, you can go twain. You can do more. more. Just because somebody sues you at the law and takes away your coat, he says, let them have your cloak also. He said, just, just, just have mercy on people. Just have grace on people. He said, you've heard about judgment. I'm here to tell you about mercy. Look at verse 43. You notice the pattern? Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now, doesn't that make sense? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I'm here to tell you, loving your neighbor and hating your enemy comes natural to us. Loving our neighbor and praying for them that curse us and doing good to them that hate us and praying for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that doesn't come naturally. That requires a little bit of the Holy Spirit in your life. You were told to love your friends. He's, like, he's, he's saying, I'm telling you, love your enemy. And by the way, well, look at verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. See, to love your enemy makes you like God. Look, look at why. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. You know when you're right with God, the sun comes up for you? And when you're not right with God, God still lets the sun come up for you. See, God loves his, those that love Him, and God also loves those that hate Him. And He says, if you want to be like God, you ought to love those that love you and those that hate you. 
Now, now, I want you to notice this, okay? Verse 46. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which, in hev- which is in heaven is perfect. Let me, let me just take a moment, because we're really emphasizing soul winning for the next ten weeks in our church. Let me apply these verses to soul winning. You've got to understand this. In our life, our purpose in life, we talked about it last week. Remember, ye are the light of the world, right? Our purpose is to shine as light, is what the Bible says. Okay? Now here's the thing. There are two aspects to soul winning. And to only have... Most people have neither one. Some people have only one. But the only way to truly be right with God is to have both. Say, what are you talking about? There is our personal soul winning that we do to our friends and family. There are people that I know that you will never meet. There are people that you know that I will never meet. You work with people. You're you're neighbors with people. You have friends. And it is your job to reach those that God has brought into your life. And it is my job to reach those that God has brought into my life. We ought to reach those people that are close to us. I'm talking about our brothers, our sisters, our cousins, our grandparents, our our aunts and uncles, our neighbors, our co-workers. That is the job of a soul winner. Look, soul winning is not just on Saturday morning. It's 20. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, you ought to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is asked of thee. But you know, also, it is our job to go out, the Bible says, in the highways and hedges, and go out to people that we don't know, and people that we'll never meet, and preach the gospel to them also. Do you know that? Sometimes someone will get this idea. I'm going to preach the gospel to all my friends, but I'm never going to go out and knock on a stranger's door. Well, here's the question I have for you. If you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Well, I, I'm going to go give the gospel to the, the people that I'm close to. But I, I'm not going to, I don't know, knocking on the door and talking to a perfect stranger. Here's the question I have for you. If you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Look, it's, it's easy to love our neighbor. And we ought to love our neighbor and preach to our neighbor. But we got to go and, and, and knock on the door and preach the gospel to the people that don't love us. And the people that slam the door in our face. And the people that, you know, t- curse us out. And we got to go love those people also. And if all you do is talk to the people that you're close to, what do ye more than others? Not even the public and so. Keep your finger there in Matthew. Go to John real quickly. We're almost done. We're literally done. I'm going to show you two verses and we're done. Our expectation in regards to the law. Here's what you got to understand. What did, you know, we've been talking about, what did Jesus teach about the law? Here's what Jesus taught about the law. Jesus' teaching is between the correlation of love and the law. What do you mean by that? Here's what Jesus is saying. We ought to not only keep the law, and we, we should go above and beyond the law. He says, the law says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And by the way, the Old Testament, God said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He said, but I say unto you, you know, love your enemies. He said, turn the other cheek. Here's what he's saying. Our motivation for keeping the law should not be because I have to because God makes me. Do you understand that you don't have to do anything? Do you understand that salvation is by grace through faith? Do you understand that the Bible teaches eternal security? Do you understand that you can literally go do whatever you want, and if, you're, if you believe on Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are still saved? So why would we keep the law? Out of love. See, the liberals, they hate the law. Why? Because they have to do it out of, out of I don't want God to send me to hell. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ on the, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I accepted Him as my Savior. I'm not afraid of going to hell at all. That's kind of arrogant. I accepted his gift. 
I, go, I was saved by grace. When I keep the law, I don't do it because I'm afraid of God. Whenever you keep the law, you ought to do it out of love. And if you love people, then guess what? You will turn the other cheek. If you love people, then guess what? When they sue you for your coat, you'll give them your cloak also. When you love people, if they compel you to go a mile, you'll go with them twain. Are you there in John chapter 14? See, the liberals say, we don't have to keep the law. We're not under the law. Look, I'm not under the law because guess what? If I don't keep the law, I still go to heaven. I'm not under the law, but I get to keep the law. Are you there in John 14? Look at verse 15. This is what Jesus said. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Amen. Can I not go to church and still go to heaven? Of course you can. But if you don't go to church, which is a commandment of God, that just proves you don't love Him. Can I not read my Bible and still go to heaven? Of course! But if you don't read your Bible, which is a commandment of God, that just proves that you don't love Him. See, we, you say, well, well, in the Old Testament, here's what you understand. We are motivated by love to keep the law. He said, I didn't come to diminish the law. He said, I came to perfect the law. Now, now go to Proverbs real quickly. Absolutely, we're going to look at two passages. We're done right here. Proverbs in the Old Testament. Here's what the liberals say. And they won't actually say these words, but here's how they act. They act like the God of the Old Testament was this mean, angry God. He will strike you dead. He is so mad. He, you know, he destroyed the world with a flood. He, you know, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The God of the Old Testament, he's just this mean, angry God. And the God of the New Testament, he's like Santa Claus. He just loves everyone. Okay, let me ask you this question. Does that hold true? Looking at Jesus? Does it seem like Jesus... It seems like Jesus is more extreme in the New Testament than the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is just like... Like, you know, don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Jesus is like, look, don't even look at a woman. Don't even get angry. He, you know, the, God of the, the Old Testament is dealing with the things we do outside of our bodies. Jesus is dealing with the things you do in your heart. <coughs> Okay, so here's the thing. You know, people say, like, the God of the Old Testament is mean, and Jesus is nice. But look, Jesus has taken it to an extreme, even above the Old Testament. But guess what? Are you there in Proverbs 25? Look at verse 21. Let me show you this. Tell me if this sounds like something we just read out of Matthew 5. Proverbs 25, 21. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Doesn't that sound like it would just fit perfectly in, in Matthew 5? I'm here, I'm here to tell you, it's, it, it's a hoax. This whole thing about, in the Old Testament they have to follow the law, and in the New Testament we're afraid, is not true. In the Old Testament you were told to love your enemy, and in the Old Testament you were told to keep the commandments, and in the New Testament you're told to love your enemy, and in the New Testament you're told to keep commandments. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same all the time! You're supposed to always keep the law, and guess what? You're supposed to always love people. Salvation has always been my grace, and it's always been God. Period. You know, this whole idea. In the New Testament, we love our enemy. And in the Old Testament, we hate the enemy. You're told to love your enemy in the Old Testament too. Now, here, here's, here's the last concept I want you to understand, okay? In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, we have the first sermon that Jesus preached. Okay? And I'm not saying it was chronologically the first sermon. But it's the first sermon you read of Jesus in the New Testament. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, when you get to Matthew, God put this one right there, right in front. For us to get right, as soon as you begin Matthew, you start reading the New Testament, this is the first time you hear Jesus preach. 
And here's what he's saying. Jesus is teaching us to take things to the next level. See, don't just get by with, uh, you know, what you can do. People have this idea. Well, what can I do and still, and still be right with God? You know, how, how, uh, how, okay, okay, Pastor, you said that I should, I should dress modestly. Well, well, how, sh- how, how short can it be? You know, how, you know, what, what's, what's the extreme? Look, you, you gotta just, you gotta, you gotta just go the extreme. Just try to be as godly as possible. Okay, Jesus teaches this concept, okay? He wants us to be going forward, not backwards. Jesus was taking Christianity to the next level in Matthew chapter 5. I mean, would you agree with that? He's taking it to the next level. He's saying, look, we're going forward. Now, here's the thing. In your life, you ought to be going forward in your life. If you're going back, guess what the God calls that? Backsliding. And you know, in our lives, we ought to take time to inventory our lives. In our Christian lives, if we're ever doing less than we were doing before, guess what? You're backsliding. You say, you know, I used to go to church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now I kind of go every once in a while. Guess what? You're backslidden. I used to go on, on, on Wednesday nights, but now I don't go on Wednesday nights. You're backslidden. I used to read the Bible every day. Now I read it every other day. You're backslidden. You understand that? Whenever you're doing less than what you were doing before, God expects you to every day be going forward, be doing more, be accomplishing more. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, this is what you heard. He, he's starting his ministry on earth. And he starts by saying this. You heard these things. Let's take it to the next level. And that's how you and I ought to live our lives. Today I did this. Tomorrow I'm going to do more for Christ. More for God. Get more right with God. Do accomplish more. Win more souls. Be more faithful in church. Get more people saved. We ought to be taking things to the next level. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study the book of Matthew, and, and specifically chapter 5, and to be able to study about Jesus, and, and just to see, Lord, He's not diminishing it. He's not minimizing it. He's not telling people it's okay to live in sin. He's telling them, you need to get more right with God. You need to accomplish more with your life. And Father, I pray you'd help us to meet the standards of Jesus Christ. Help us to get right with you. Lord, help us not to be going backward. If there's an area in our life, we were doing something and now we're not, help us to get back to that place. To always be going forward, forward, forward for the cause of Christ. Because as soon as we start sliding back, we start dying. As soon as we start sliding back, we start getting less and less right with you. Lord, I pray that you would please help us. I pray that you would please bless us. I pray that you'd be with our, our church people here, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help them, Lord, to apply the lessons that were taught from Scripture and to, to get the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is to take things to the next level. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen.